Hello my guys, my gals, and my non-binary pals. Welcome along to another episode of the Peter Greenwood Show podcast. My name is Peter Greenwood. I am delighted to have your company today. We are going to be speaking to three more acts up at this year's Edinburgh Fringe, and we are starting with your friend and mine, Paul Aitchison. Take a listen. Can I start by asking you your name and what you do, please? Hi, I'm uh, Paul Aitchison, and I'm bringing a show called Could It Be Magic to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. How are you today, Paul? Not too bad, thanks. Just uh, a few last-minute things getting ready for... The show opens on the 16th, and I'm still down in London at the moment, just... uh, fixing and changing a few little things here and there uh, as is always the way before a show when it gets close to showtime how uh, what am i trying to ask here how much do you change things and is that like a scary thing because do you ever go like oh this is the old thing i've changed it now while you're performing it's funny well the show's quite improvisational anyway and i've got a background in improv so it, it always changes a lot each show depending on what the audience bring but also even just things like I saw a photograph of the venue the other day and I looked at it and thought okay well actually you know from from how the people are seated maybe I need to change a couple of things just so that they everything reads exactly as I want it to and actually I had one of my best ideas I've had for the show um yesterday and I sort of had that moment where I go right do I try and change it and put that trick in and just tweak that trick around or do I do it as I've done it 60 70 times before and thought no, let's let, let's do the the thing about the fringe is you take risks, uh, and that's why that's why I think people have you know it's why shows uh, shows that maybe wouldn't do uh, so well elsewhere as their first outing do so well at the fringe because it's an audience that are ready for things to be a little bit more uh, out there and a little bit less conventional. Um, that's certainly why I first took this show to the Edinburgh Fringe two years ago because it is something very different. Um, so it's one of those things of I had a I had a new idea. Like, do I put it in? Do or don't I? The spirit of the Edinburgh Fringe is that, is that you you try the out there idea um, rather than playing it safe. Especially with the last year or so, it must be really good to feel like you're going back and doing a thing, and there's going to be people there watching it. That must be an incredible feeling. Yeah, it's hugely exciting. Um, it's it's been a very strange uh, been a very strange time. I'm lucky in that I've been able to do certain bits of performing work even through lockdown, either over the internet like this, or um, uh, doing some interactive theatre where I've only got an audience of six people at a time, uh, meaning that I was able to sort of do that in a socially distanced way. But um, the idea of stepping out to 250 people a night is uh, very exciting, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. Let's talk about your show. It's called Could It Be Magic? What What is your show? Tell us about it. So effectively, uh, it's, a, it's a magic show with a difference. Uh, it's a... Uh, it's like a, a character comedy where I'm playing four different magicians who are all competing to win uh, the best magician of the year magic competition. Uh, and generally the, the audience will vote and decide on who's, who's going to be the winner. So uh, they're all doing their best sort of magic. Um, they're all doing their, their best tricks, uh, but also inherently when you go and see a magic show, you know deep down that the magician isn't really doing the magic. You know that it's a trick. And sometimes people feel a bit uncomfortable about that sort of the way you draw the line of the lie. But suddenly I found by doing it in character like this, people just, they just get on board with the magic and have a really lovely time with the magic because they're not worrying whether I think that they're falling for this and thinking I'm really magical because they're literally seeing me in four different magicians' get-ups, you know. One of them I'll be a long-haired German illusionist. One of them I'll be a sort of really douchey American mind reader. <laughs> and because of that, they they just seem to get on board and it creates this really bubbly, fun atmosphere in the room that I've 
frankly, I've never really sort of felt it a magic show. So I'm, I'm really excited by it. Um, but the, yeah, the tagline would be, it's uh, one man plays four magicians competing in a magic competition. It's a sort of mixture between a kind of character comedy show and a legitimate magic show. How did you get the idea to do this? And how long did it take to all come together? The idea is something that had sat in the back of my mind for many, many years untouched. Um, I'd, I'd wanted to do something like this for a long time because I knew that I was, I had a background in sketch comedy and character comedy. I, for many years, came up to Edinburgh with a sketch act called, called Mixed Doubles. And one of the things that every now and again, I'd throw a magic trick into one of the sketches because I'm also a magician. I'm part of the magic circle. Um, I throw a magic trick into sketches and that used to sort of really sort of upend people and uh, and it got a stronger reactions for doing the magic in the comedy than I would have if I just did that magic in a magic show. And so because of that, I always thought there's something here. There's I, I need to find a way of combining my sort of my acting and my improv and my character stuff with a proper magic show. And so this idea of just playing all these magicians sort of came together. And then from the moment we actually decided to do it, it kind of came together relatively quickly. It's It's been a sort of ongoing project for two years now. So it's a little bit more polished than perhaps it first was, but the ideas came quite quickly. Does it get exhausting having to go and change costume every two or three minutes? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I literally, I do not stop for, for the full hour of the show. Um, it's very high energy and when I'm the brief moments I'm off stage and the audience are watching a video of who's up next, if you think about it, I'm taking off one elaborate costume, putting on another one, and then let's face it, resetting all my pockets and things ready to do the next set of magic as well. So I've effectively got to do, you know, normally a magician might spend an hour getting everything ready, checking they've got everything where it needs to be. And I have about a minute and a half to do that. So every now and again that goes wrong as well and that's uh, that's why you just have to think on your feet so it's yeah I, I get incredibly knackered by the end of it and by the end of it I'm fairly sweaty so uh, apologies <laughs> for that that's something I was going to ask have you ever like gone full Mrs Doubtfire where you put on the wrong outfit and go out onto the stage and you have to <laughs> improvise as that character I actually the very it's amazing you said that the very very first show I did a, a preview in London and I misremembered who had won the show. So I went, uh, I, I found sort of, <laughs> we, we worked out who won. The host's like, right, okay, we'll go and get them. And I came back on in the wrong costume. And it. we almost kept it because everybody thought, A, it was hilarious, and B, that it was scripted and on purpose. But it wasn't. And then but also the character who thought he'd won it was the most perfect i won't spoil it for the show but he's the character who absolutely would have assumed that he'd won and just came out as dressed up as the winner anyway at the end <laughs> i realized for, for time it's you know we can't add that for that one nice joke you can't add yeah. two minutes of running time of costume changes but it was it was very funny and so yeah full mrs doubtfire on that one <laughs> you're running through a place like help us on the way dearly help us on the way <laughs> <laughs> that's really mrs doubtfire uh, isn't that a great film? It is so good. <laughs> I want to ask a little bit about the your history with The Fringe. How long have you been going to The Fringe for? And what was it like not going last year? My very first Fringe was when I was 18. With a, We took a school play up. Um, 
and you know I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now so that, I think that was 2004 so my first fringe was 2004 and I've probably been up to do a show maybe eight or nine times right uh, that's a lot yeah I mean a couple of times you know I've done a Shakespeare up there I've done two improv shows done three sketch shows a magic show uh the character magic show and now coming back again but actually this is the um I think this is the biggest room I've played um this is a, a 200 plus seater um and uh, that seemed they seem to be uh, flying off the shelves which is nice. It's nice to know that you're stepping up. Sometimes you go yeah. up for the show and think, well, will there be 7 people here or 70 people here? But I think we already know there's going to be more than 70 people there each day already. So that's, that's a really good sign that the word of mouth, I think, from last time has, has been fairly strong. Yeah. And the interesting thing about this year's Fringe, and I was speaking to a few people about it when I was up there, because I did a, a day up there on Monday, is that if people have said that it feels smaller but there's so much demand for it and what I found interesting is that there's a real focus on other performers because it's normally the big name comedians that go out there and draw all the fire but there aren't that many this year so it's so it's giving more attention to other performers which is great I think it is I think there's always the fringe is always a little bit like a sort of um, almost like a kind of forest fire in that every year it just gets it it just keeps growing and yeah. and this year it's sort of it's been forced to shut down and go back to embers and it's now kind of growing out again and i think it's a, a slightly more realistic size as well because the number of brilliant shows that go up um and have six people in the audience and lo- lose a lot of money and because of that that great idea never gets to develop into mm. into a you know bigger better show or something that could tour etc so i think in some ways uh, from what i'm hearing is people seem to be the audience there's obviously far fewer shows probably only about 20 percent as many shows as normal probably only half the audience numbers uh, because it's less tourists but with that said 20 percent of shows 50 percent of the audience there's two and a half times more people in per show on average than there might have been on average so yeah i think um i think it's giving performers who are less well-known a, a a shot at bigger audiences yeah definitely and the most inter- interesting and important thing to remember is that this time last year who knew if there'd ever be a fringe again so at least there is a fringe again this year yeah uh, yeah this time last year it was all very very depressing lots of uh, pretty much every day i was getting an email with a the theater cancelling um for you know to, and and for something that you'd put a lot of work into over several yeah. years and in a way it was what was going to be the fruits of the edinburgh fringe i did in 2019 the show went very well um lots of interest from theaters around the country to take it lots of time spent negotiating contracts and sorting out details and logistics and then just one after another email after email after email just sorry we have to cancel sorry postpone sorry postpone it was a it was a dark time for the arts but yeah it can be so lovely to uh, when i open on the 16th which is monday night um it's gonna be a really special feeling to step out to do the show again where could people find out more about you online and about the show uh i suppose just just a good old-fashioned google and um, there is a website could it be magic show.com uh all one word which would uh which would point you in the right direction there's also if, if you typed uh, uh edinburgh fringe could it be magic or Paul Aitchison, Could It Be Magic, anything like that, that would find some, there'd be some video clips and things of previous versions of the show and a couple of trailers, etc. But almost, I would say the best thing to do is come in, 
cold. If you, if you like the sound of the show already, mm-hmm. come along and see it because in a way, I the least the less you know about which characters are going to be doing magic for you, probably the more fun you'll have. Yeah. Uh, and pe- people who said, "Oh, I had no idea what this was going to be," uh, seem to have the best possible time on it because it is, like I say, it's it, it's pretty unique. There's nothing really like it. Um, so I'm I'm very proud of it, and I think people in Edinburgh are going to have a lovely, lovely time. That's something that I've noticed about doing these interviews because I did a bunch of interviews in 2019 and I'm doing them again this year. And I want people to talk about their shows, but there's only so much people can talk about their shows. So it's been really tricky trying to be like, so tell me about your show, but don't ruin it. It's been yes, it's yeah. been interesting. <laughs> but Paul, thank you so much for your time today. It was really great to speak to you. My pleasure. Thanks very much for having me on. And uh, uh, to your listeners, uh, hopefully see you up in Edinburgh at the ICC at the Pleasance. Could It Be Magic is playing from the 19th until the 24th and the 26th until the 29th of August at the Cromdale Theatre at Pleasance at the EICC. Could I stop asking you your name and what you do, please? Yeah, my name is Tamsin Othello Clark and I am a performer and theatre maker. Tell me a little bit about your show. What's your show called and what's its origin story? So our show at uh, at the Fringe uh, this year is called Push, and it is about uh, the three minutes that uh, you live and uh, breathe when you're waiting for your pregnancy test to tell you whether you are pregnant or not. And um, it had a life at Vault Festival, pre- previewed at Vault Festival in 2020, and um, and and obviously was due to go up to Edinburgh last year, but that all got cancelled. So we've now reimagined the theatre piece into a short film, and uh, it's now available via Pleasance Online and Ed Fringe Player. So yeah, it's exciting. What was it like taking the taking the idea of a play and making it into a short film? Uh, yeah, it was it was it was weird because it was something that I I didn't really think when we created the show we never really thought about doing that, um, and then obviously with the pandemic and everything, I just sort of a, a friend of mine had told me about a space in Bristol called Band Studios with like an infinity wall and and all this stuff and I just thought oh that would work really well for. Um, for push because the three minutes when she's waiting she's very much in her head and all of the text is a real stream of consciousness and i just imagine this you know lone this solitary person in this white space and i thought that's just like somebody's head really and um and i thought about how that could yeah how that could be translate how we could translate you know what we had on stage which was actually quite white um and lots of lights playing around with the the shadows of this solitary figure um and yeah and then we just made it happen uh which yeah it was exciting it it wasn't something that we expected to happen but we're super super happy we did it and um and all the challenges that we faced with it were were good and they really tested us and tested what we wanted for the show um and the message that we wanted to deliver so i think that i think it worked well (laughs) For those who've seen Push, how does it differ from being on stage in front of an audience to being in a short film? Um, well, it's 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 a difficult one, really, isn't it? Because um, live performance is is so much about um, 
you know, breath and energy and sweat and, and watching somebody perform something and, and, and go through something there in front of you. Um, and we play around a lot with breaking the fourth wall and breaking the space between the audience and the performer. Um, and obviously that can't necessarily happen uh, in film, but we've tried to be quite inventive with the ways and the techniques that we've used the camera. Um, it's all one continuous take. So the liveness of the, of the performance that you would have seen in theater is translated in that idea of um, one continuous take, you know, she can't mess up. She has to perform the whole thing there and then. And, um, and also looking, looking to camera and really directing the address directly to the audience um, means that you don't, you, you know, you don't get a moment as an audience member, you don't get a moment to like chill out because she's looking at you and it's very, um, very focused. Um, and yeah, and then, then there were some nice surprises in there as well, which I'll let you watch <laughs> and see the, see the film. It's one of the shows I am actually very interested in seeing, but I want to ask a little bit about the audience reaction because you said the audience kind of plays a part in the show. When it went to put it, when you went to put it onto film, what did that feel like as a performer? Did it feel, I don't want this to sound rude, but did it feel like you were missing the audience and their reactions? Yeah, I guess as a, as a, as a theatre performer, you always want that feedback from an audience. Um, but there was something really, there was something really beautiful about me as a performer, just being there with the camera. And um, and there was just there was a kind of flirtatious moment, or you know, during the whole thing where we we connected, and and for some reason I didn't miss it um, because we were doing this new thing. Where whereas I do miss it when I you know I'm you know I love having my audience there and 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 and, and letting them feed back to me, and and I live off that that feedback so much when I'm on stage, um, but. Doing it this way was, um, yeah, it was different. It, it, I obviously I miss the audience not being there, but I also, yeah, I had a connection with the camera, and the little tiny dot of the lens became my audience, and they didn't give me feedback, but I I was able to sort of play a bit differently to that, as it were. I don't know if that answers your question. <laughs> it does. It does. Yeah. <laughs> I want to ask a little bit about these trying times we're living in. How has it been putting a show together? Because you said it was on last year during 2020 and then this year with the fringe reopening, but at a smaller capacity. So what's that process been like? Um, yeah, it was really difficult. I mean, for me as a performer, I, I think I got very depressed last year not being able to perform at all. Um, especially when you know you've just done all this work to create a show that you really believe in and you think it's going to be your year and you've got, you know, the pleasance behind you and you've got all of the crew and everything um, to then have that taken away was was really tragic. And I know that I'm not the only one that went through something very, um, you know, sad. But, um, you know, pulling things together and finding a way around is something that I think most creative people do um just naturally uh you know you always try one one door and if it doesn't work then you try another and you try another and and um you know creating work is part of you know it, it 
adaptability is part of creating work. And I think um, we just, as a team, just kept going really. And I think that that was our, our thing was just to keep making work. We, we did some digital seasons and we did um, some audio play work during during lockdown which kept us going and kept us communicating with other artists and that reminded us that we are still all still here and we're still able to do things even if it's in a different capacity so yeah yeah I don't know (laughs) okay I don't know if it's probably the same thing I know it's not as intense as sitting here doing this but I haven't been into the studio for one reason or another since February last year and while it's Mm. good to sit here and because I've got a home studio, I can record. I can record here and send it into the station to be played. But yeah. there's a world of difference between sitting here and doing the show and doing it in in a studio in front of in front of an audience. Absolutely, absolutely, it's so different. And you know, of all the all the digital stuff that we did, like you know, it, it made us realize how important being in a room and being, you know, I'm also a keen and avid theatre goer and I love sitting, not just performing, but sitting and being an audience member. And that feeling of, of you know, sharing the, the, the energy with people watching somebody perform for us is, is a huge, hugely powerful thing. And I think we've all, we all appreciate live, uh, live events now more than anything. And yeah. yeah, you know, I'm sure, you know, going into the studio for you is the same because you've got people that you can connect with and they inspire you and they push you. And, you know, it's the same. It's the same for the theatre and um, and for us lot, for sure. I completely forgot what I was going to ask. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was so wrapped up in your answer. I was like, yeah, she's, she's really right. I apologize profusely. I was going no, to I was going to ask, what is life like for Push after the Edinburgh Festival? Where does it go from here? Well, so now we have these two versions. We have the live version and the digital version. We're really hoping that um, we can offer both of those going forward for touring. Um, and, you know, ideally we would, uh, we would, be looking to to tour it around the UK and I mean eventually maybe internationally that would be great as well and now we have these this option of being able because everything's obviously had to go digital so now we've got this offering to be able to 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 give them side by side so if there was a festival that you know wanted a digital version we've got that as well so hopefully onwards and upwards with the show because we love I love performing it um live and and we've loved creating the the film so really um yeah we just want it to to have a life and for more people to see it and to you know react to it and feel good about it which is you know why we made it so that's why you do what you do that's why we do what we do (laughs) exactly where can people find out more about you and about push online yeah, so the theatre company is called Popolei, which is an unusual name, but it's spelled P-O-P-E-L-E-I. And our website is popolei.com. And Push is currently showing via the the, the Pleasance online um, and the Ed Fringe Player. It's all it's all a bit convoluted. I'm not totally sure, but you can um, you can search for Push on the Pleasance website as well as the Ed Fringe website and um, book your tickets 
through either one of those portals and um, and then you get a link and then you can watch it online on demand whenever whenever you fancy basically and wherever you are in the world which is really quite amazing that's an interesting dynamic to it as well i know you've got other things to do and i'm taking up so much of your time and i thank no, you no 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 not on. at all i want to ask because the ed uh, how do I say this without sounding rude? To be yeah. to see shows at the Edinburgh Fringe, you'd need to be in Edinburgh. But now you can send it yeah. literally all over the world. The, the yeah. festival is international in a whole way it hasn't been before. Yeah. Do you think this is a good way for theatre to be going forward? I think... Um... I mean, obviously theatre is live and it's all about being there in the space. And no, and I think after the year and a half that we've had, nobody can deny that we love being there live. Um, and I think this is just an alternative way of communicating with our audiences. Um, but I definitely still want to be a live performer and and to perform it live and and be in those spaces with audiences but being able to offer a, an alternative is great for you know people who can't make it or who haven't been able to you know access theatres for a while or again live in other countries or have a different time zone so i think being able to to adapt and think about you know the wider audience is 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 great and probably what we needed to do um but obviously we're never going to um, we've, there, we're still a long way, I think, from trying to to create that live experience necessarily digitally. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a human thing as well. You know, we like to be in a room with other people. I think we've all gauged that from uh, from this lockdown experience. Yeah. Although, <laughs> and I'm speaking strictly as somebody who does love theatre, somebody who enjoys watching live theatre. What concerns me is that people will get too used to the idea of, oh, it's instant, I don't need to go out, I can just watch it at home. Yeah. And that damaging the theatre, which really scares the life out of me because I yeah. love theatre so much. I think you're right. Um, you know, and I was I was like looking at something the other day and it was a, a show that had been on in the West End many years ago and I somehow missed it and I just sort of like oh well surely there's a there's a video of it surely I'd just be able to watch the video and of course there wasn't and I just thought like oh well, that's ridiculous and I was like of course it's theatre you had to be there and and that sort of missed opportunity felt very alien suddenly I was like what I can't just have it yeah. and uh, you know that that was that was an interesting moment for me to just be like no you can't always just have everything that you want and uh, and that's that makes me sound very selfish but <laughs> but in a, but in um yeah I just you know the magic of theater is that it exists in that moment and then it disappears and if you saw it you were part of it and if you didn't then you know that's it yeah and, maybe uh, maybe next time if you're lucky yeah exactly and it's a shame because you know you would you want art to, to live forever but um i think with theater you're really working on this very magical thing i don't know i'm not i haven't experienced a lot of digital theater yet so um even do, through lockdown i was i spent so long on my screen that i actually tried not to then spend lots of time lots of my free time watching watching things on online so um yeah it, it, it also depends on how much you want to be glued to a screen and we already seem to spend quite a lot of time in front of screens so yeah <laughs> 
but hopefully theatre will survive and people still need that connection I think so I think so definitely I, I think so and I hope so as well that's the important yeah. thing thank yeah. you so much for your time today it was so great to speak oh. to you yeah likewise thank you for having me <laughs> Push is streaming on demand from the 6th of August at the Pleasance Online On Demand Theatre. I'm going to start by asking you your name and what you do, please. <laughs> My name is Peter Michael Marino and I do too many things in the arts. You have a fantastic name, Peter. I like your name. Oh, thank you. Peter's, Peter's got to stick together. <laughs> oh, that part of the name. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How are you today, Peter? Are you well? No, I'm pretty good. It's like it's my day off from the fringe, and it's your day even, off. Though not, even though even though I'm not there in person, it still feels nice to have a day off. Yeah, I can imagine it. Because I should explain for the listeners and eventually the viewers when I get around to posting this video, you're in New Jersey. I won't say specifically where you are because you don't want people to come and say hello. But you <laughs> are five hours behind me, and as we record this, it's about half eight in the morning. Yep. Exactly. There we go. I got my time zones correctly. So, good morning. How are you today? Yes. Great. We're off to a great start. We're doing well. <laughs> Let's talk about the show. It is called Planet of the Grapes, live from NYC. What is Planet of the Grapes? Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, Planet, you know, it's funny. I haven't really worked on my, um, my pitch, you know, like what you normally say when you're handing out flyers. Yeah. Uh, you know, like it's a very short pitch. So just the non-short version of it, Planet of the Grapes is an homage to both the Victorian era's toy theater movement and today's digital theater movement and the 1968 uh, Rod Serling, Charlton Heston classic, the Planet of the Grapes. I mean, Planet of the Apes. Look at me. I've already <laughs> renamed a classic. Uh, yeah, so I'm sort of mashing together all of these different, um, I don't know what you'd call them, art forms into one m magically insane uh, tiny show that you watch live on your device. Those are three very different styles with the Planet yeah. of the Apes film, the digital media that going on now and the classic victorian era of entertainment yes. how did you put them together what how did that happen pandemic that's how it happened pandemic. i've heard of that i've heard of yeah. that i heard there was yeah. something i didn't pay attention to it you know it's funny there was a puppet festival uh here in new york this weekend and i went to see an old friend who i hadn't seen in a long time do her puppet show and she said oh i see that you're doing you're doing this puppet planet of the grapes show um how long have you been a puppeteer i didn't even know and i said i only started during pandemic it's totally a new skill i don't even know if i'm skilled at it but um it's totally a new skill and um you know i was just i'd always loved the movie and i'd always had a thing about the title planet of the grapes because when I lived in London for a period of time, I lived around the block from uh, a wine shop called Planet of the Grapes. And I hate puns, which is why I created a show that's basically a pun <laughs> that's filled with puns. Yeah, um, <laughs> I know that's not a very a good thing to say to a European audience because I know y'all love puns. Like there we are shows- we, like, are, we do like puns here. Yeah, there's like literally entire shows in Edinburgh Fringe that are like based around the fact that it's puns. And people are like, yes, I can't get enough. Um, 
<laughs> so yeah, pandemic was happening and I was like, I am going out of my mind with um, the need to, to do something new and creative and involving an audience without an audience. And I just, uh, it started out as just a silly little sketch and it turned into this uh, hundreds of dollars um, <laughs> production um, with, you know, and a director and an original score and everything. Um, and the whole thing was rehearsed over Zoom. No, none of us ever were in the same room at the same time and still have not been. It's very weird. That's That's so interesting that you can put things together over Zoom now. You don't even need to meet in person. That's where the world is. Well, look at us. Here, Here we, we are. are. Yeah. I'm I'm in Scotland. You're in New 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 Jersey. New Jersey. That's the one. I couldn't get Jersey out. I was like New New. Yeah, it just got stuck. I apologize for that. <laughs> so, what is Planet of the Grapes? Tell us a little bit about the story. So, in Planet of the Grapes, uh, three astronauts crash land on a mysterious planet and um, are soon taken hostage by grapes that speak. Um, the three astronauts are injured and are unable to speak until the end of Act One when uh, the Charlton Heston uh, character finally does speak and then becomes a threat to their society. Um, the, um, oh, this is a train going by oh, right that's now. That's a train. I love trains. Can we have a look at the yeah. train? Oh, oh. Let's see. Let's have a look at the train. Oh, oh it's yeah, gone. Yeah, that's the commuter train that's right behind my friend's house. And, um, you know, like everything rattles when the train goes by. Yeah. It's really very fun. I um, apologize. I got caught I up like in that's the like something. No, that's okay. I think, isn't there something like in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, they live near a train and everything? I don't know. Oh, there <laughs> is some, is there a cannon that goes off and they have to cannon, grab everything? Yes. Yes, or is that, or is that Mary Poppins? That oh, might be that... Mary Poppins, where the cannon goes off and they have to grab. I, I do remember people grabbing things, like grabbing a vase right, and it right. falling back, but I don't know if it's chitty titty bang bang. It could even be bed knobs and broomsticks. It could even be bed knobs and broomsticks, yeah. 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 So uh, in the show, uh, there are three different types of grapes, as there are in the film. There are the, the uh, red grapes, which are the orangutans, the um, green grapes, which are the chimpanzees, and then the purple grapes, which are the apes. The humans are all portrayed by wine corks, naturally. <laughs> naturally, yes. And um, yeah, it's just, there's like 20 something scenes. They all have different backgrounds and backdrops and um the puppets are very very tiny and sometimes tinier than tiny because i'm doing like miniature work sometimes and um it's surprisingly deep you know rod serling wrote the original like first 10 drafts of the film planet of the apes based on the novel it's it's a very difficult novel to adapt because it's written in the first person and there's really no dialogue in it so uh, Rod Serling, you know, took his Twilight Zone magic to it and, uh, uh, you know, created all these very specific characters, especially like, uh, you know, Cornelius played by Roddy McDowell is you know, sort of the most famous of the franchise. Uh, however, his part is very small in the first film. Um, and, you know, I actually, when I started kind of thinking about doing it and like watching the film a few times and going back to the novel and then finding Rod's um, screenplays, I wasn't, I didn't want to do something just because it was silly and fun. 
which is weird because that's what you would want to do during a global pandemic. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to do something. I could only do the show if there was a there there. You know, if it actually yeah. was saying something and meant something and can change the way people think. And amazingly, the story that was written in the 60s is really about so many things that we are struggling with today in society about uh, science versus religion uh, is a massive um, theme in the show. Um, treatment of animals, you know, it's a great metaphor, you know, the, the, way, the, the way the grapes treat the corks. Uh, the the court character says, you know, you treat uh, humans exactly the way humans treated animals. I'm not proud to say it. Um, yeah. yeah, and even like the caste system and um, the sexism, I suppose, is even in there. And he's an interesting character because he's he's sort of fed up with Earth, and that's why he leaves. In my version, they leave because of this pandemic that we're in, and. That's that's all. I don't really want to like. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the pandemic the whole show. So I I just gave that as like the reason why they're leaving Earth. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's just lots of it is very re very very relevant. But it winds up becoming a comedy simply because it's a uh, a bunch of little grapes on sticks chasing corks around and you know torturing them and uh, and sleeping with them at some point at some points. And it's for kids. <laughs> That sounds fabulous. I'm sure kids will be like, what's that grape doing to that cork? It's called doggy <laughs> style, son. It looks like they're just having fun. Yeah, a big a big adult hug. Big adult cuddle. <laughs> you know, it's funny. A couple of friends have sent me screenshots. Um, I, I really encourage people to watch it on their televisions. Um, we all know how to do that now, right? We know how to stream something from our computer to our TV. Let's just do that as a society. Yeah. And... Um, and, and I'm streaming it in high definition and in like surround sound and everything I possibly could. But people send me screenshots of them watching it on their TV with their cat completely going, they're, they're, they're entranced by this thing. And it must be because of these little tiny figures jumping around the screen. Yeah. Or maybe the cat wants to try and swat the cork because that's what my cat does whenever not that there's corks laying around much in my house, but she likes swatting things and grabbing things. So maybe the cats are like, I'm going to get it. I'm going to make sure I get it. It will be the last thing I do, but I will get that. <laughs> well, that just lets me know that it's a very good broadcast because the cats think it's real. Yes. Let shout out the cats. We love, <laughs> I love I love cats. I want to ask a little bit about how deep into the Planet of the Apes lore do you go? It sounds like you go kind of deep into it, but do you go full Chuck Heston like, from my cold dead fingers <laughs> kind of thing? I, uh, you know, I started out as a voice actor, um, and, um, and then mostly stage and I'm very used to creating weird original characters on stage. So I, for this, I just had to like tap into like one thing for each character that made their voices distinct. So, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to distinguish between tiny grapes on a stage sometimes. So yeah. their voices have to be the thing that give it away. And um, I think I kind of like married a little bit of um, Chuck Heston with a little bit of William Shatner. Um, you know, Heston luckily, uh, he speaks very down here and everything is very important. Nothing gets thrown away, you know, mm -hmm. and he always goes down at the ends of his sentences. Um, but what I like about throwing in the Shatner bit is that he never speaks in a complete sentence without putting a lot of 
air in between the words. You know, everything has to be important to him. Um, I'm not actually very capable of doing that uh, as a performer, so I just do it all in the editing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for doing the Shatner. I, everybody has a Shatner impression. Mine isn't as good as yours, but mine is more faster than being normal. It would be like if William Shatner was really confused and then he shouts at the end, that's what he does. <laughs> if the listeners could only see your facial expressions during that exchange they'd be very pleased i was trying so hard <laughs> i was trying to impress you where can people find out more about the show and go to see it online they can go to planetgrapeshow.com. That is not planetofthegrapeshow.com, which many people just invent in their heads. It's planetgrapeshow.com. And there's like, you know, videos there and there's the reviews that we've been getting uh, in at the Fringe. And uh, there's little facts about the film and facts about uh, the history of toy theater. So um, I guess I can say it's a very educational website. It's very educational while also selling the hell out of the show. Uh, and the show is done live. So actually on Sunday is our next show and I'm doing it at 11 o'clock in the morning here because it's a 3 p.m. show there. Right. Okay. Which is kind of cool because then by noon, I'm done with my work for the day. Yeah, you're done. You can go for a stroll, get an ice cream, have a good time. Because <laughs> that's all we do here is eat ice cream and stroll. <laughs> that's all I do if I live in America. I just go for a stroll. Get some ice cream. I love it. <laughs> you know, it's been weird not being there, but like, I have to say, like, I've done a bunch of fringe festivals during COVID and Edinburgh Fringe continues to do a great job of making us, uh, making the, the performers and the writers and the producers and the directors feel like we're part of a community. Right. And I think they've also done a good job of like involving the audience in that, you know, um, so much of the Edinburgh Fringe experience, I mean, yes, it's, so much of it is about the art, but I think a other huge part of it is about just the humanity and people from all over the world experiencing the way other people think. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, we're still able to do that virtually, which is um, surprising and very, very welcomed. And it makes me really, really eager to come there in person next year. That would be my seventh year, I think. Um, but who knows? It's so hard to plan even. Yeah, even now. December. Yeah. Even at the point where in like March 2020, we were like, yeah, just a few weeks, maybe a month or so, we'll be inside. It's fine. It'll go away soon. Here we are. Right. <laughs> so that's why digital theater must remain. Yes. I'm, I'm very curious about the concept of digital theater and how it'll go into the future. And I know you've got other things to do, so we won't get into the big, long conversation of it. But I find it's... I'm... I'm not doing a show. I'm just interviewing people. I'm not doing a show at the Fringe. But I love the idea that the show will go on, but also the idea that Edinburgh Fringe is an international festival. People come from all over the world, but now it's going out to the world. People from all over the world can come to the Fringe Festival, which is fascinating to me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like the big buzzword of the year is accessibility. And yes. here we are unintentionally making everything accessible, you know? Yeah. Um, I think I hope next year we we're at a point where there are people in the actual theater and then people at home watching and listening to the actual people in the actual theater. That you would know? be great. Yeah, like a combination yeah, of both. Yeah. 
that's very easy to do for those of us who have original works, but it's not easy to do if you have like a published uh, piece of work, like, you know, Little Shop of Horrors, which is actually doing really well in Edinburgh right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah, they can't possibly. Also, like they're doing a two-hour show. Like, when does anybody do a two-hour show in Edinburgh? Like, this yeah. is a great opportunity for them. Um, and actually, another one of my friends, um, ha- Harmon Leon, who goes every year, he decided to go and do his show at the Banshee Labyrinth. Which I don't know if you're familiar with the venue, but it looks basically like a a petri dish for uh, things to grow and for you to get sick from. Um, one of my favorite venues, naturally. But um, he he posted. Um, um, yeah, first show sold out. I said, how did you do that? Did, are you flyering people? And he said, no, everyone just really wants to see shows. Yeah. <laughs> we appreciate you. Thank you, Peter. It's, thank you very much. Where can people find out about you on social media if they want to get in touch with you? Oh, I'm I'm on the Twitter and the Instagram at Blackout Pete. Uh, and that is not because of drinking it is because I was born during a blackout. I just want to like put that right out there. So people right. think, oh, God, I don't want to follow some guy who's just talking about drinking. Um, blackout Pete. Yeah, that's me. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Peter. Thank you, Peter. And thanks for giving us all a little bit of a voice over there. We really appreciate it. My absolute pleasure, sir. The least I can do.